What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup of news and a selection of full stories, plus conversations with reporters and editors from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast in Beijing today. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin and beyond. On Tuesday afternoon, a flight from Shanghai to Guangzhou with 150 passengers was delayed for almost six hours at Pudong International Airport after an 80-year-old woman, when boarding, tossed coins at an engine for good luck. One of the coins fell into the engine of the China Southern Airlines aircraft, and the woman was taken into police custody while engineers inspected the engine. So much for good luck. In other airline news... China Eastern Airlines, one of the country's three largest carriers, started construction of a 13 billion yuan or 1.9 billion U.S. aviation facility at the new mega airport going up in southern Beijing. The project, covering more than a million square meters, includes facilities for cargo services, flight maintenance, catering preparation, offices, and passenger services. The new airport will be the world's largest. In finance. The world's first clearinghouse dedicated to third-party online payments went live in China last week. WeChat Pay is the first provider joining the online settlement platform for non-bank payment institutions, which will also soon welcome others like Alipay and Wanda's 99Bill. The new platform cuts the direct links between third-party payment providers and banks, taming the still largely unregulated market and making the People's Bank of China the sole intermediary for clearance of online transactions. In business, shareholders of Rio Tinto approved a 2.69 billion U.S. sale of the company's coal unit to Chinese coal producer Yen Coal Australia, ending a six-month bidding war with Swiss rival Glencore. Australian-listed Yen Coal, a 78%-owned subsidiary of China's state-backed Yenzhou coal mining, currently operates seven coal mines in Australia with total reserves of 274 million tons. The acquisition of Rio Tinto's coal and allied industries will make Yen Coal the biggest pure-play coal producer in Australia, magnifying its pricing power. After a long and bumpy ride to overcome regulatory and financing concerns, ChemChina this week announced the completion of its $49 billion takeover of Swiss agribusiness giant Sygenta. ChemChina proposed the acquisition in February 2016 in what was, and remains, China's biggest overseas deal. 
Once completed, it will lead to a consolidation of assets worth more than $75 billion. But for ChemChina, the closing of the deal may mean the start of another tough journey to integrate Sygenta into its business empire and repay the loans it took out to acquire Sygenta. Let's turn now to some Saishin's reporters and editors to talk about the week's top stories. First up is Doug Young, senior editor at Saishin. Doug, what big story of the week do you have for us? So the story this week is looking at a very futuristic traffic straddling bus that was being trialed in the city of Qinhuangdao, which is not too far from Beijing, about two, three hours from Beijing by high-speed rail. It's sort of not a great audio story because you really need to be able to see this thing. It was being described as a car straddling bus. And what you need to sort of imagine is that there's two rails on either side of a major road. And then there's this bus way up in the air. So it's sort of like an inverted U shape. And the two sides of the U are holding the bus up in the air. And then the the bottom side of the U is actually where all the people sit. And this thing travels down the street and basically is so high up that cars and other buses and trucks and everything can pass beneath it. So the idea was it was supposed to be this huge space saver, and it was rolled out to all kinds of fanfare and got great press coverage when it got announced about a year ago. And then the thing sort of fell apart or fell by the wayside, and it sort of has come to a a quiet and low-key ending this week. uh, They actually finally started dismantling the rails just because it ended up being the bus to nowhere. So what's your explanation as to why it failed? It didn't really seem to have legs. It didn't seem like it was the best conceived project. Some people are saying maybe the developers never even intended it to go anywhere and were just using it as a way to raise money. And looking at the project, there do seem to be a lot of question marks by it. Uh, They built about 100 meters or 150 meters of demonstration rail where this thing could travel on, and that's where they got all the great pictures from. But, you know, making this bus go around corners, go under tunnels, if there were big vehicles that needed to pass beneath it that were too tall to clear the, the big space beneath it, there were just all sorts of unanswered questions. You know, it just wasn't real clear that they had thought out the project beyond this 150 meters of experimental track. So they basically raised a lot of money, and then nothing ever got built. And of course, this is like a very complicated thing. I mean, you'd have to, you know, unless the bus is just going to go in a straight line, you know, when it crosses intersections, what's it going to do? It looked like it required a lot of thought, and maybe the necessary planning didn't go into it, and some officials in the city of Qinghuangdao probably saw it and said, hey, this looks great, let's do it. Doug, do we see this kind of thing, that sort of bridge-to-nowhere project, uh, more often in China than elsewhere? You probably see it a bit more often than you do in other places, uh, certainly in in Western countries. One of the components of this was a peer-to-peer lender that apparently was raising money through one of its subsidiaries to try and fund this thing. And, And in the West, this kind of fundraising would be much more tightly regulated This kind of project, you do see these peer-to-peer lenders putting their money into projects that don't always look so good. 
Uh, the other thing that you have to realize is, is these cities don't have a lot of experience in sort of urban planning, putting together big projects, especially a, a city like Qinhuangdao. It's not a huge city. It's more known as a, a summer resort, and this is what happens. Uh, you do see in, in lots of cities like big empty buildings and other projects that ended up sort of being sort of half-baked and didn't, didn't quite get off the ground. Thanks, Doug. Next up, let's turn to Jingxuan Tang. Uh, Jingxuan, you've got a big story about the attempts to unify these new long rail lines running between China and Europe. Uh, tell us the backstory here. So there are hundreds of trains that run each year taking goods from China to Europe most of the time, although some of them take goods back as well. These are all run by different local railway companies and city governments, but it's also in name overseen by China Railway, which is the national railway company. But they have had problems coordinating their trains and really communicating with each other. And lately, China Railway has been trying to unify the whole system. So the overall network is called the China Railway Express, uh, but there are all these locally run lines within that network. Is that right? Yeah, like there's the Chongqing Xinjiang Europe line. There's the Wuhan Xinjiang Europe train, which is run by Wuhan Asia Europe Logistics. And then there's the one from Harbin to Europe that's run by HAO International Logistics. These are all affiliated with China Railway in some way, but then they receive a lot of funding from local governments because obviously it's the Harbin government that wants to promote trade with Europe or the Wuhan government that wants to do that. And that's where the problem comes in. So before we talk about the coordination problems, uh, tell us more about this China to Europe train network. Well, there's some cool facts like how a lot of these lines are the world's longest train lines. There was one just in June, a train that left Heilongjiang province and went on a 9,800-kilometer journey to Belgium. And that took 18 days, only just arrived in Belgium. There were 593 trains that departed from China for Europe in the first quarter of this year alone. So what are the folks in charge doing to better coordinate this network? So what happened was at the end of May, China Railway set up a committee The committee includes regional route operators, and they came up with this 10-point plan, but it's still in the early stages. So the story is really about their struggle as opposed to the solution, which they haven't completely found yet. Two cheers for Chinese bureaucracy. Thanks, Jingxuan. And now for our selection of important stories from Caixin Global for the week. We'll hear about the tie-up between Amazon.com and China Mobile to release the first co-branded Kindle e-reader. We'll look at the new trend in cashier-free, no-line convenience stores and how they're faring. We'll tell you how social media commentators in China are divided over an attack on a customer by a delivery man. And we'll hear how an environmental activist who is convicted of blackmailing a Chinese oil giant has had his sentence commuted. From Business and Tech... Amazon.com, China Mobile, script world's first co-branded Kindle by Yang Ge. E-commerce giant Amazon.com Inc. has launched a first-ever customized version of its Kindle reader for China with leading local wireless carrier China Mobile Limited. The move comes as Amazon.com tries a new tack of tailoring products and services for the market under a new country head. 
The new partnership will nearly double the number of Kindle titles available to readers in China by bringing together Amazon.com's own catalog of 460,000 electronic books with another 400,000 distributed by China Mobile's Migu Online Literature Unit, Amazon.com said in a statement. China Mobile is the nation's largest carrier by subscribers with more than 800 million. The customized readers will continue to include all of the current features of Kindle. Despite 13 years in China, Amazon.com has yet to gain major traction in the market for its core e-commerce service, controlling less than 1% of the market. That contrasts sharply with younger market leaders, Alibaba Group Holding Limited and JD.com Inc., as well as other newer arrivals like Gomei and VIP Shop. Amazon.com founder Jeff Bezos has admitted that at least part of his company's poor performance owes to a decision to largely copy its global model in China. But its recently named China president, Elaine Chang, has emphasized customization as a key to success, a common refrain heard from observers who analyze similar failures by many big Western internet names. We deeply understand that Chinese readers have highly diversified demands, and therefore we're joining with China Mobile's Migu to roll out the groundbreaking Kindle X Migu Reader, said David Limp, an Amazon.com senior vice president. It's the world's first co-branded Kindle, customized specifically for Chinese readers. The readers, which were being promoted on Amazon.com's China homepage on Thursday, sell for 658 yuan, $97, which includes vouchers for 300 yuan worth of books from China Mobile's Migu store. That compares with a starting price of 558 yuan for ordinary Kindles sold in Amazon.com's China online store. The tie-up acknowledges a fondness for short, easy-to-read, homegrown literature among many Chinese who like the format for reading on their smartphones and tablets during commutes and other short time periods when outside. Such works usually come in the form of serialized novels distributed through web library operators such as Migu. In her previous role as head of Amazon.com's Kindle division, Chang also introduced a customized white version of the reader specifically for the market. She is currently focusing heavily on the program's Prime Loyalty Club, which includes a free shipping program for international orders targeting Chinese buyers of imported goods. Business and Tech Robotic Convenience Store Rings Up 30 Million Yuan and Startup Cash by Coco Feng Beijing a Chinese operator of unmanned convenience stores has secured 30 million yuan, or 4.4 million U.S., in its latest fundraising round. The stores, which serve customers without shop assistance, have become an emerging business model that many insiders see as the future of retail. F5 Future Store, which has one store in the southern city of Guangzhou, will use the new funds from Sinovation Ventures to upgrade its supply chain and accelerate its expansion. It will open 30 to 50 stores in up to six months, according to a post by Sinovation. The 35-square-meter F5 shop in Guangzhou consists of two counters for food and goods, a beverage maker, and a self-cleaning dining table. Customers can order and pay for products at a special terminal or wirelessly with their smartphones. The retrieval of goods and cleaning of tables is done solely by robotic arms attached to the appliances. Shoppers receive their items in under a minute without having to line up to check out. It was so much fun and I felt at ease. The store has a high-tech feel, said a customer named Chloe, who commented in May on the Chinese restaurant review site Dianping. 
It is a brand new business model which attracts customers, wrote another customer named Casablanca. But the table didn't clean itself that well. F5 previously raised 10 million yuan from Chinese electronics firm TCL's venture capital unit and an additional 2 million yuan from Chinese incubator InnoHub. The unmanned convenience store is a nascent industry that is attracting big companies both in China and abroad. E-commerce giant Amazon sparked market interest when it revealed its concept of Amazon Go stores, which allow shoppers to walk in, pick up goods, and leave without interacting with anyone. Technologies including computer vision, deep learning algorithms, and sensors help track what buyers take and then bill their accounts. Earlier this year, Walmart began testing its new Scan and Go service, in which users shop on a smartphone app and pick up their purchases at a nearby store. Japanese-owned convenience store brands Lawson and 7-Eleven have rolled out similar tests. In China, French supermarket operator Auchan launched its first unmanned convenience store in Shanghai in May, an Auchan spokesperson told Caixin. Personless stores, which provide standardized products and simple services, will be the next trend in the retail industry," said investment manager Ranfei from Sinovation Ventures. But theft remains a concern. Supermarket chain China Resources Vanguard ran an unmanned pop-up store in the eastern city of Hangzhou, Zhejiang Province, for a day in June 2016. It ended up losing 3,000 yuan in goods to shoplifters. The government-backed newspaper Beijing Business Today reported. Personless convenience stores have potential, but two factors will determine whether they become an investor favorite: if the population is well behaved, and if the cost of the technology can be reduced. Lawson China Vice President Zhang Sheng said at an online seminar organized by retail information provider LinkShop. From people. Delivery Man's brutal attack of customer sets Chinese social media abuzz. By Tang Jingxuan. Chinese netizens are debating the role of delivery personnel in the country's booming e-commerce industry after a Beijing delivery man reportedly attacked a customer on Sunday after the customer complained to the delivery man's employer about a missing parcel. The discussion was triggered on Tuesday by a post by a Weibo user identified only as Bingqiling Miao Miao. Who said an STO Express delivery man entered her apartment on Sunday and hit her on the head with a fist-sized rock, drawing blood? Bingxiling Miao Miao said she had recently lodged a complaint against the delivery man for marking the missing parcel as delivered and signed for on STO's online system when she had actually been out of town on a business trip. The user said, as a result of the complaint, STO fined the delivery man 200 yuan, twenty nine dollars and thirty cents. And after Bingxiling Miao Miao returned to Beijing, she and the delivery man had a heated phone conversation. Twenty minutes after the call, the delivery man showed up at Bingxiling Miao Miao's apartment and attacked her. The post said Bingxiling Miao Miao also said that STO, one of China's largest private delivery companies, had not responded to her reports about the incident in the three days since the attack. But in an official social media post published hours after Bingxiling Miao Miao's Weibo post, STO's Beijing branch said. Our company would never avoid responsibility and would definitely never tolerate actions that harm customers. The delivery man in question has been fired and detained by police, according to the Chinese language publication The Paper. Chinese netizens had mixed responses to the attack, which was a trending topic on Weibo on Wednesday afternoon. Many condemned the delivery man's actions, but also criticized Bingxiling Miao Miao's reporting the undelivered parcel to STO. Pointing out that it is common for delivery personnel to leave parcels on doorsteps if the recipients aren't at home to sign for them, 
Others highlighted the long hours and stressful conditions that delivery personnel work under. A delivery man was fined 200 yuan for seemingly no reason. Maybe he can't even make that much after a whole day of hard work, one Weibo commenter wrote. Delivery workers traveling on scooters loaded with parcels have become a common sight in China's major cities in recent years as the country's e-commerce industry has grown. A total of 30 billion parcels were delivered in China in 2016, according to the State Post Bureau. The average Chinese delivery worker is a male who is 20 to 30 years old, according to a paper on third-party logistics firms published last year by Ali Research, the research arm of e-commerce giant Alibaba Group Holding Limited. Over 80% of delivery workers earn less than 6,000 yuan a month, the report said. STO went public with a backdoor listing last year, making its founder, Wang Wei, China's third richest man. People. Environmental activist convicted of blackmailing oil giant has sentence commuted by Zhou Tailai and Li Rongde. Well-known environmentalist Tian Guang, sentenced to 12 years in prison for blackmailing an oil company and embezzling funds, had his sentence commuted to four and a half years at a retrial last week. The case highlights issues of transparency and funding challenges facing advocacy groups in the country. Tian, 54, was a veteran conservationist known for his campaigns to protect spotted seals in northern China. His detention in November 2013 for allegedly taking 52,800 yuan, or 7,740 U.S., from a local oil company, sent shockwaves through the country's environmental groups because it came at a time when authorities were increasing scrutiny on organizations receiving funds from abroad. Tian headed the Association of Volunteers for the Protection of Spotted Seals in Panjin City in Liaoning Province. Spotted seals aren't an endangered species worldwide, but their population in Liaoning fell from around 8,000 in the 1930s to around 2,000 in the 1980s, according to environmental advocacy group China Dialogue. Today, there are around 1,000 spotted seals in the province, a significant increase from a low of just a few hundred. According to the verdict from his trial in September of 2014 at the Dawa County People's Court in Liaoning, Tian was sentenced to 12 years in prison for a string of charges. They included blackmail linked to taking 52,800 yuan from a subsidiary of state-owned China National Petroleum Corp, CNPC, embezzling 270,000 yuan from his organization in seven instances, and misappropriating donations worth 100,000 yuan, according to court documents. In contrast, Li Chuncheng, a former deputy party secretary from Sichuan province, received a 13-year prison term after he was convicted of taking nearly 40 million yuan in bribes in October of 2015. Tian insisted he was framed and appealed. Seven environmentalists who knew Tian personally told the Southern Weekly in 2015 that they believed he was jailed because his work threatened groups with vested interests, but didn't offer any evidence to support this claim. After losing a retrial at the same county court in August 2015 and an appeal three months later, Tian's case was again taken up by the Shuang Taizi District People's Court this year. The court reduced his sentence to four and a half years after he was found guilty of embezzling more than 160,000 yuan over four occasions, less than the sum in the first trial. The court, however, upheld the charge that Tian had extorted money from the oil company. The circumstances leading up to his detention in 2013 are murky. 
According to his trial documents, Tan had posted a story on his microblog in June 2013, a month before he was detained, saying pollution from an oil rig owned by Liaohe Oil Field, a subsidiary of CNPC, was threatening the natural habitat of seals just one kilometer away. During a later meeting with representatives from the CNPC subsidiary, he agreed to delete the widely circulated article after the company promised to make a 100,000 yuan donation to his environmental group, according to court documents. But Tian's organization was unable to provide the oil company with the required receipt for the donation, making the transfer impossible, the county court said. Instead, CNPC had given 52,800 yuan in cash to Tian, and the activists had used the money to buy a Canon camera, court papers showed. Tian had, however, provided the required receipt to the company as proof of payment, according to court filings. Unlike government-backed charity groups, many non-governmental organizations, NGOs, in China, advocating for human rights, access to health care, and environmental protection, have difficulty raising funds through donors at home and rely on overseas funding for survival. In recent years, however, the government has imposed stricter reporting requirements on NGOs receiving foreign donations. The southern industrial hub of Guangzhou was among the first cities in China to require such charities to report to regulators 15 days before they receive any funds from foreign sources, according to a regulation released in November of 2014. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories by the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current affairs show that I host with Jeremy Goldcorn, and follow the news from China daily at SubChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.